You're listening to the Promised Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by William Hinn. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. I was just telling Luke, <laughs> I've been here less than 24 hours, and I love Woodland because it's the only place I can come and in 24 hours ride a four-wheeler uh, through the woods. Last night, Luke decided to put the two Josiahs in his bed of his truck with a tarp and water in it and do donuts in a field. And also, too, I, I got some warts burnt off by your dad. So 24 hours, it's interesting uh, being in Woodland. It's a lot different than where we are in Texas. You guys ready to talk about Jesus? I'm honored to be here today. I, uh, I love it here. I'm so excited for the youth camp. The last youth camp we did might have been some of the most powerful meetings I've ever been a part of. And so I have so much anticipation in my heart for what the Lord is going to do. How many of you have never heard me before? Just so I can see. Awesome. I, uh, I come from a ministry or a family of ministry and pretty much my testimony summed up. Can I get a clock just to be safe? Because, okay. All right. Got it. So my, my family uh, has been used all over the world and I've watched the Lord use uh, my uncle and my dad in arenas and stadiums, and I just kind of went with the flow as a kid, and I thought I was a Christian because I was in a Christian family, and I saw miracles my whole life. I saw people get out of wheelchairs. I saw tumors fall off people's necks. That was normal to me as a kid. I had a tangible encounter with God at 10 years old, but um, even through all of that, my testimony is this, is that you can be in the presence of God without the fear of the Lord and have no idea who he is. And so I went through life thinking I knew him, but I had no idea who he was. And so I encountered God in my bedroom. And I I love when we answer altar calls, but if this altar doesn't turn into an altar in your closet, it can't sustain your life. And so when I found God when no one was watching, my whole life changed. When I realized, Lord, you don't need me to do something for you, you just want me. That, Lord, you're not looking for the next great evangelist, you're looking for a son that can minister to your heart. My whole life changed. And so today I want to I talk to you guys a, a little bit about, I want you to go to John 13, but I'm not going to go there yet. I just want to feel like we're opening our Bibles. Is that okay? So go to John 13 and just stay there. But I want to talk to you about the character of God. And before we do, as you're turning, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this room. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, I ask for a moment this morning in both services, like John when he's baptizing in the Jordan and he sees you and he says, behold the lamb, the one who comes to take away the sins of the world. Lord, I pray that every single person in here have that encounter today, a fresh encounter of beholding the lamb, the one who meets you right where you are and takes away the sins of the world. We invite your spirit to come. In Jesus' name. Before we go into John 13, I want you to think about this with me. So Jesus, it says in Colossians 1 that all things were made through him and for him, and in him all things consist. It says in Hebrews 1 that he holds all things together by the word of his power. Jesus is the beginning, he's the ending. I love what what Luke read in the beginning. You know, he we have Christian sayings in church today that are true of, you know, when he, when one door closes, another one opens. 
But how many of you know, sometimes you find the door when you stop looking for the right door to go through and you just see Jesus as the door? Because Jesus is not an opportunity. Jesus is, he's not an opportunity to get somewhere. I heard it said like this, that Jesus is not a means to an end. Jesus is the end. So Jesus is not my my get out of jail free card getting into heaven someday. No, he's more than that. It says in John 17, 3, that this is eternal life, that we might know him. So eternal life is not even about heaven and hell. But eternal life is about a person. He is eternal life. And to be away from him for eternity is just that, to be away from him. It's not about your house on a golden street. It's about you building a house with the Lord right now. And so eternal life is knowing this King Jesus who came to meet us where we were, to take away the sins of the world, and to introduce us to a father, but I'm amazed at how he did it. I'm amazed that Jesus came, this man with all power, this man that holds all things together by the word of his power, he is... He was born and the cosmos responded at his birth. And this Jesus shows up in front of Pharisees and he could have rained fire in the sky. Like what I love about Jesus is that he could have stood before the Pharisees and said, I want you to look at the sky. And in the east, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rain hail. And, and then in the north, we're going we're gonna to have some fire fall. And then in the west, you're going to see a lightning and you're going to see it all on three. Ready? One, two, three. He had the power to do it. But what amazes me about him wasn't the power he had, it's the power that he had, but yet he laid aside in the name of humility to win a world. What's amazing to me about Jesus is that Jesus was the very revelation himself, yet spoke in parables. Like imagine, you are the mystery being revealed. The mystery, Christ in us, the hope of glory. You are the everything from the beginning that God had planned. You are the volume of the book on every single page. He told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures for eternal life, but you never come to me. And you are standing there as eternal life. This man who, who the water supported when he would walk on it. And still he went to Peter and asked for a boat. Anyone ever wondered why? He asked Peter for a boat. Think about it. He goes up to a sea. The crowds come in so tightly that he needs to get on a boat to preach. Now, they knew a Jesus. How many of you know the Sea of Galilee? It actually says that its width is eight miles. He came four miles in to meet them in the middle of the sea just because he can. And then the crowds come to him because he's preaching and he could have walked on water in front of all of them and preached standing on water, but he didn't. He says, Peter, I need your boat. He didn't need Peter's boat. So I always ask the Lord, Lord, why didn't you just like, how many of you watch the news? You're like, I don't know if I want to raise my hand. I often say just put the good news in front of you, but it's good to be able to watch and pray without it getting your heart and you getting upset, amen? But sometimes, you know, I I watch the news and I think, Lord, why don't you just do something? (laughs) Is it okay if I talk about this? Can I go down here, connect with you better? Okay, because we're going to need it. You know, I watch some of the decisions being made, I, and, and, and I watch some of the decisions that Christians are making to stay relevant to the world, 
And you can't change the world when you're like the world. You can only change what you're different from. And so I watch it and sometimes I think, Lord, why don't, you know, like the disciples, can I just be vulnerable with you? Sometimes they're like, Lord, why don't, why don't you just rain fire on the city? You know, people are like, we don't, some of you have secretly prayed that. <laughs> some of you hear a politician, you're like, Lord, judge them. And we have prayer meetings about it. And I often think, Lord, why didn't you just come with fire and you could have, with a breath of your nostrils, caused everyone to fall to their knees, but he didn't. Enough power to come out of a grave. And what's amazing to me about Jesus is that he comes out of the grave and he doesn't go to the Pharisees. Like, think about it. Pharisees rip your beard out, they mock you, they strip you naked, you give them your face as they're spitting and mocking on you, you come storming out of a grave because they couldn't kill you, and you don't even go to them to say, look, you couldn't kill me. Anyone ever thought about that? He didn't come out and have a press conference and post it on his Instagram story. He came out and he was still unrecognizable. What kind of humility does he have? In Luke 11, I, I just let's let's think about it together. In Luke 11, he's he's or I'm sorry. In Luke 24, he's walking down the road, and these men are walking along the road talking about him. And he shows up; they don't recognize him, and he acts. He acts like, like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Why didn't he just say, "Here I am," and have them get slain in the spirit? Like that would have been a cool story. But he says, what are you guys talking about? They say, are you the only one in all of Israel that hasn't heard? And he's like, tell me more. And he's walking with them. And they start telling him. And then he opens up the scriptures to them. And then he pretends like he's got to go to another city. And, and here's what they do. They say, please come over to our house and have dinner. And he comes over and he reveals himself at a table. You see, anyone ever thought about what's happening with COVID-19 and how, what if revival's not going to look like what we think it is, but what if revival is going to start in our homes? Like, what if God wants to reveal himself at the tables with our kids, with our wives that we don't talk to anymore, we just watch TV with? I felt the Lord on that one. And it's not till he's at the table that he reveals himself and then he disappears from them and they say, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened up the scriptures to him? Like, why did he come out of the grave unrecognizable? Why didn't he come out and just in that moment, he could have caused every knee to bow, every tongue to confess in that moment, but he didn't. Matthew 21, five says this, and stay in John 13, I haven't forgotten. Says this, behold, thy king cometh meek. 11, Matthew eleven twenty eight says it like this. Come to me. This is Jesus talking about himself. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is the one time that you hear God describing his own nature. Jesus describing his own nature in front of people, and he doesn't use the word anointed. He doesn't use the word powerful, but he uses the word humble. And so we're caught up in a debate in the world today. We're, 
we're on the news, we're trying to figure out, like, I have a church in Dallas, I pastor a church there, and man, everyone in the world is giving me their opinion about what we should say during times like this. Man, it's wild. You've got racism, you've got COVID-19, you've got homosexuality, you've got all kinds of issues that are coming into the church, and we're just trying to stay relevant to the world, and the world has become the greatest evangelist ever. The world has evangelized the church more than we have evangelized the world. And so we come in and, and we're arguing as pastors, or what are you going to do? Are you going to keep your church open? Are you going to close it? Or, well, what do you say about racism? Did you do the post with the blackout or not? Got tense in the room. What if we didn't give our opinions, but we started giving the word? What if it didn't really matter what you thought, but we got into the mind of God? But when I look at this king, everything he does, everything about him is humble. Here's what Philippians 2 says. It says in verse 3, let nothing, chapter 2, verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you not only look for the, your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you who was also in Christ Jesus, this Jesus who is the beginning of all things, fully God and fully man, decided who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of a cross. Listen, it says in the scriptures that Jesus became, everyone say became, the author of salvation through the things that he suffered, which means when he was born, he had to become it. Think about it. At 12 years old, he's in a temple asking questions about himself mesmerizing the scholars with questions he had about himself. Anyone ever thought, like there had to come a point where Mary came to him and said, listen, Joseph is not your father. Anyone ever thought about this before? You know, it's okay to think questions. You guys are very quiet. You guys alive? (laughs) All right, silence belongs in the grave. We can talk one onto another, crying holy unto the Lord. At some point, Mary had to come to him and say, you're not normal. But I was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. I didn't know your father yet. And as a boy, he was searching for his father. Imagine growing up and you're 12 and you know I am the savior of the world. Before Abraham, I am. Imagine what that could do to the mind of a man. Man, we pray for someone and see them fall, and we think that we're the next Benny Hinn. We see one person healed in the last year, and we tell the testimony every day. And I'm not against testimonies. But we're so impressed with ourselves in church, so impressed by our anointings and the size of our congregations. I remember when I started a church, Jesus spoke to me, and we were doing all the things to get the people in, all the right programs. And the Lord spoke to me, said, why don't you start with 12 like I did? 
Because you know what? 5,000 came and they were needy and hungry. But then he revealed the secrets of his heart to the 12. So Jesus comes with all power. And here's what he says of himself. I know that I can walk on water. I'm talking like as this is Jesus thinking. I'm going to walk four miles just because. And meet him on the boat just because I can. But what I'm going to say of myself is I'm humble. He comes out of the grave, reveals himself to 500. I thought about this this morning. Only 120 were in the upper room, but he revealed himself to 500. So I want, I'm not good at math. Someone help me. 380, praise God. What happened to 380 people? I mean, maybe he didn't invite them all, but I would imagine. You see, I think God is trying to reveal himself in this hour, but the way he reveals himself is so humble, so full of grace, so compassionate, he's not gonna force your knee. I said, Lord, why did, why did you ask Peter for the boat? He said, because I wasn't gonna win Peter by fear and force him to serve me. I wanted Peter to make a decision to want me. So Jesus wouldn't join a debate and say, no, let me show it to you. No, 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 he would say to him who has an ear, let him hear. Think about the humility. I am the revelation, and he's saying, if you want to hear it, you'll hear it. But if you don't, I'm not going to fight you and force you to hear it. The Pharisees who had scriptures attached to their foreheads and down the tassels of their arms, thinking they knew something with the author standing in front of them, having no idea who he is. Can I have keys? Is that okay? So John 13, let's go. Because I believe the Lord is trying to teach us something of ourselves with what is desperately needed right now in winning the world. Because if Jesus won the world through humility, why would we think we can do it different? So here's what it says. John 13 And I'm telling you, when you see the humility of God, you realize how much God's for you no matter what you're going through. Like, you know that it says he's near to the brokenhearted, which means that God is drawn to problematic people. I didn't start seeing that until I started pastoring and had to deal with problems. Before, I just, I don't want to deal with problems. But you realize, like, if you think about the people that God used, I mean, I mean, you look at, you look at David, an adulterer, Samson, a womanizer, all these people throughout scripture, Noah got drunk. Now, now hear my heart. This is not enabling you to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. It actually gives us the strength and the power to walk and look like Jesus. But here's the key, grace. (laughs) It's not your righteousness, it's his. You kept saying it today. Righteousness is in the room. What he's saying, Jesus is in the room. These men that Jesus collected, Peter, he knew he was gonna deny him three times. You know that he gave his money to the one that betrayed him? He knew that Judas was stealing from him the whole time. Today in church, we set up boundaries until, I, until you earn my trust. Jesus said, love believes all, 
holds no record of wrong. We say, man, stand up for yourself. Jesus says, lay down your life. If you just go through scripture, Moses, a stuttering murderer, and he sees God's glory. And here's what I love about Moses is it says of Moses at that time that Moses was the meekest man in the earth. There's something the Lord is trying to show a body of people that you can't do this. That without him, we are nothing. That without Jesus coming into our hearts, we have nothing to offer. But if, if you can say, Lord, right where I am, like I have two little kids, I have, a, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and my one-year-old little girl has cheeks for days. She will stay in her high chair and eat for four hours as long as we keep giving her food if we're busy. And you know, there's something in me as a father that I just can't help but squeeze them. Anyone ever heard of cute aggression before? I have a serious case of cute aggression. I'm like, you're there. I want to kick you, but I don't want to kick you because you're, I don't want to hurt you, but you're just so cute. I don't know what to do with my hands. Anyone have children? Anyone think I'm crazy? Maybe it's because I'm Middle Eastern. We don't give side hugs. It's just not part of who we are. We like attack each other. People get around our family. They're like, you guys are really violent. It's like, yeah, we violently love each other. It's kind of strange. Like a punch means I love you. And you're like, yeah, I love you too. It's very odd. Did you know that in Acts 10, when the Holy Spirit fell in the room and it shook the room, you know what that word means? Fell. A violent, affectionate embrace. You see, God finds people, no matter where they are, and he gets interested in what you're going through. Anyone ever been in a secret place and every distraction in the world comes in and you start thinking about your bills that you got to pay and then you start rebuking a devil. Anyone ever been there? You're like, man, he's really distracting me. What if God is so interested in doing life with you, not just in the morning for 10 minutes, but actually causing himself to abide with you all day, every day, that he's interested in your bills? And what if he's reminding you of something you forgot about? What if he's that interested? Like, what if it's not about just shaking, screaming, crying on the ground and having emotional experiences with God? I, I was with the Lord last night. I said, Lord, I, I want to go into my secret place and just be weeping all the time. And you know what God said to me? And I love crying. I actually think we need to keep our hearts tender. Men, cry your eyes out like God wants to do it for you. But I was asking the Lord, Lord, I want to cry more. Last night, and God spoke to me. He said, I don't want a soulless relationship with you. I'm looking for worshipers that'll worship me in Spirit, what does that look like? It looks like on your job site, God is going to make you the best employee because he's humble enough to want to get involved in your stuff. That even rhymed. He's so humble that the king of glory, listen, he was the most high, I've heard it said like this, the most high God went to the lowest of low into the pit, set the captives free just so he could fill all in all. Think about this king of glory who saw these little people on the earth that he could have just consumed with a breath, who all left him, who all walked away from him. They ran from him in the garden. But listen, when Adam sinned against God, he ran from God. When Peter denied Jesus, he ran to Jesus. Why? What is the difference in the response of Adam and Peter? Peter denied him three times, ashamed, guilty, condemned. He shows up twice before ever talking to Peter. 
Imagine that. You're in a room and you're thinking, I just denied my Savior who I said I would die for. And Jesus walks in and he doesn't even confront Peter about it. Imagine what Peter's thinking. Imagine what's going through emotional Peter's mind. And then Peter sees him on the shore and he's so in love with this Savior, he knows that when he runs to him, he's going to be accepted by him because he is grace. He is mercy. And so Peter didn't run to hide from Jesus. He jumped in water and ran to Jesus. What did he see in three years that would cause him to go, that man is my refuge? God is not this big, bad, scary dude just waiting to send you to hell. God wants to get involved in your accounting because he's humble enough. You know, what other gods do we hear about? All these false gods. You know, you got to make the table for them. Our God made one for us. What kind of God do we serve that would come down here King of glory, as the hosts cry to him for eternity, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And he's looking at us going, I really want them. And I I don't care what they're going through. Like the woman caught in adultery, I just want to be there. And then I'm going to tell them, I don't condemn you. You want to know how to get free from sin? Find his grace. Because when you find his grace... Now you're not abiding by a law because it says so, but you're abiding by a law because you found a love that's greater than life itself. And now you just don't want to disappoint him. Now you don't want to just hurt him. You know, when I win my children, it's when I play with their dinosaurs and cars and I'm learning now how to play with Barbies. And I make it important to me. My little kid thinks everything's alive because he came from God. He doesn't understand death yet. That'll, that's good. Anything ever wondered why every like car is alive to a child? Because they came from life. Then their dog dies and we start teaching them about death. My kid walks in and, and he wants me to sit on the floor and he wants everything that's important to him to be important to me. And the dinosaurs are not important to me, but if they're important to him, it's important to me. Just like fishing was important to Jesus with Peter, not because he needed fish, but because he needed Peter. He didn't need Peter's boat. He wanted Peter. The boat was a tool to get to Peter. So we think, Lord, you're not interested in this. You see, but when I win my kids is when I get on the floor and I get involved in what they're doing and and I make what's important to them important to me. And so now they don't listen to me because I'm just going to beat them with a belt every second and scare the heck out of them. But they listen because I've become their friend. Come on, what does it say of the Holy Spirit? That he wants to become our friend, our comforter. Like what kind of God wants to come close This is John 13, verse 1. And I'm almost done. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own life, who were, or having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon, son to betray him 
Jesus knowing that the Father, now listen, let's slow down and let's eat this thing for a second, okay? This is his response. He knew that Judas was about to betray him, and here's what he does. Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, here's his response to knowing all of those things. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel which he was girded with. Verse 12, so he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again and he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now imagine you're sitting there and you know all things have been given to me. All things. I'm going to God because I came from God and your response to owning, you're sitting at a table having dinner and you're going, I own everything. And your response to it is I'm going to take off my garment. I'm going to take off what belongs to me, what I have the rightful rights inheritance to and I'm going to put a towel from them on my waist and wash their feet. And we are debating about our political views as believers We are a Jesus people. We are people that will wash feet when the world is fighting. We're not going to get into debate. Listen, how am I going to win the one on the other side of the aisle? It's really hard for you to stay mad at me when I'm washing your feet. You see, it's humility because creation without realizing it is groaning for the sons of God to be made known. But what kind of sons? Not ones that are all puffed up and powerful of the world's been waiting for us. Not ones that are like, I'm going to be the answer to creation. No, no, no. Here's the answer to creation. Love the world as God loved the world. Forget about your political view and get the view of God. You want to know what to vote for? Vote for righteousness. Just look to Him. Before you are ever a citizen of the United States of America, you are a citizen of heaven. There's a different thinking. There's a different way of life. When the world says be strong, God says be weak. Because in our weaknesses, his strength is perfect. He says, let the weak say I am strong. God's not looking for a bunch of strong people. God's saying, I'm going to come close to the brokenhearted and the contrite in spirit. God is attracted to humility. My dad said it like this. When you have soil, the most humble soil is where the water flows. You want the presence of Jesus in your life? You want, hum- you want anointing in your life? Wash feet. Jesus says, now listen to this. Jesus knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows who it is and he still washed Judas' feet. Judas sold him out with clean feet that he had washed. Here's what it says. Here's what it says. Matthew 5, 38. 
You have heard it that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Don't put a boundary up. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you take away your, and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you not to turn away. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you. This is the gospel. When's the last time we were persecuted and we said, we'll take more just to win their heart? You know what the context of that when they're asked to go one mile, you go two miles? Roman soldiers would come to Hebrews and they would give them equipment and gear that the horse could easily carry. And they would say, hold my equipment and walk by me when the horse could do it. But just to humiliate them so you can't humiliate the humble. But just to humiliate them, hold my stuff and walk beside me. And when they ask you to go one mile, rather than going one mile and then gossiping about, can you believe what he did to me? And we call it processing. No, it's not how it works. When you're supposed to go one mile, he said, you know what, I'm going to go two. If we're going to win the world, we have to look like heaven. And what Jesus modeled was the one who's going to betray me, the one who's going to walk away from me, I'm going to wash his feet too. He doesn't deserve my trust, but I'm going to give him my money. Judas was the one that carried his money. If every single person in the body of Christ clothed themselves with humility, 100% of issues would leave. 100%. Why? Because we'd always prefer another. You see, we think that we have rights. But we don't. We gave up our rights. We think that we... Listen, you gave up your will to him. How many of you have like actually given your life to Jesus? Okay, literally nobody has... Should I preach the gospel? Why don't you stand up? How many of you have given your life? Not a confession giving your life to Jesus. Why did you give your life to Jesus? If someone came to you and said, why did you do it? What would your answer be? Some of you don't even know how to answer that because you need to encounter him. Did you say yes because you were moved emotionally by the good speaker? Because your buddy next to you did it. Why did you give your life to Jesus? Was it because you were scared of hell? Because if you gave your life to Jesus to stay out of hell, you gave it for the wrong reasons. But when you realize there is nothing about my life that looks like it used to. That when I was at my lowest low, when I wasn't worthy when I wasn't the one that should have been picked and chosen, God, you came into my junk and you wanted me. And Lord, it seems as if you are attracted to people with issues. 
It seems as if you take the least likely. I love hearing people say like, I'm a pastor and I have no idea what I'm doing in my church. Tell my people at all time. I'm like, I have no idea why you're coming back. Preach for an hour, yell at them. I love them, but I yell a lot. And every Sunday I'm like, it'll be the Lord if they come back next week. No idea what I'm doing. Grew up saying I'm never going to preach. I don't want to preach. I got an F in public speaking in high school. It's a true story. And I'd always say, Lord, I'm not qualified for this. I don't want to do this. But as long as you stay, Lord, I'm not qualified. God goes, I can work with that. God's not looking for put together people. God's looking for people. Listen, if you don't need grace, we've got problems if you don't need his mercy, we've got problems. Jesus comes in the midst of our unworthiness and it's his worthiness. It's his righteousness. You can't do this by your own good works. It's only, only by the humility of God that you look different. How many of you used to cuss all the time and then you encountered him and nothing comes out of your mouth anymore like that? Some of you still need to get out of your mouth. But it's okay. We're growing. <laughs> but you see, Jesus comes in because he's humble enough to make what's important to us important to him. And I'm going to finish with this. I love the story of the prodigal son because the son, you know, says, I've got an inheritance. Like some Christians, I've got an inheritance. I'm a son of God. And you are, and it's true. But he decides, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here. I'm going to go spoil everything that belongs to me. And he goes, and you guys know the story. And he wastes all his father's inheritance. And he's sleeping with pigs. And he decides, you know what, the servants in my father's house live better than I do. The servants live better. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to tell him I'm not worthy to be your son. But if you'll just let me serve in your house. You see... The Bible says, Jesus says it like this, if you're going to serve me, you must follow me. So there's a difference between serving him and following him. You see, serving God is hard, but following him makes every trial worth it. When it's about Jesus, if, if it's about preaching, this will kill you. But if it's about Jesus, he'll come out of you. So... He's saying, if I can just go back and serve, maybe he'll accept me because even the servants live better than I am. And it says, while the son was still afar off, the father saw him. And some of you don't know him as father. And it's the primary reason that Jesus came. How many of you have kids? Let me see your hands one more time. How many of you would give your life for your kids? Lift your hand. How many of you would do anything for your kids? If you don't have kids and you're married, married, have kids. And if you can't, Lord, I thank you that even today, is there anyone in here believing for children and you've been trying, but it's not working? Be honest. Anyone else? What's your name? Kayla? Can you guys stretch your hands? Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to give her the desire of her heart. And that, God, you're saying... Today, today is the day where we release it over her. I thank you that you're going to bless her womb, 
that she's not just going to have one kid. She's going to have multiple kids. And God's saying, it's not too late. It's never too late. God, I pray you make her laugh with joy as a grandmother someday watching the overflow of children. In Jesus' name, amen. So he sees the son from afar off and the son's walking and it says he runs to him. Picture of our father in heaven. He runs to him. And it says he's, he gets to him and he's screaming at his servants, get the best robe, put sandals on his feet, put a ring on his finger and kill the calf because we're going to have a party. My son is home for he was lost, but now he is found. And the son is trying to tell him, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Look at what I've done. I watch pornography every day. Look at what I've done, Lord. I'm not saying that about me, just so you're aware. Look, Lord, at the sin that I've, I've lived through in my life. I just, can't, I just can't get it right, Lord. I answer the altar call every Sunday, but nothing seems to change in my life. And the father completely ignores him and says, get the best robe. And it says that he fell on his neck. You see, what breaks the chains of sin in your life is this humble king. What breaks the chains of bondage in your life is Jesus coming and falling on your neck when you don't deserve it. And that word fell is the same exact word in Acts 10. It's a violent, affectionate embrace. Anyone ever wondered why people fall sometimes? What if the Holy Spirit so wants to encounter us that his encounter is so violently affectionate that you can't stay on your two feet? You see, as a father, I think I got that from somewhere where I wanted like, I'm going to be gone for nine eight days or something. That's a long time away from my family for this trip. And I go right somewhere else after this. I'm on the plane and I'm looking at pictures of my children and I'm watching my little girl laugh and eat. And I'm like, oh, and people think I'm weird because I'm crying in the plane because there's something in me that man, when I get home, I am going to just squeeze these kids. I look forward to as a father, them running to me When the door opens and I hear them screaming my name and they're running to me, it's like what you live for. It's all he wants. And when when I come home, my wife says, your son was so bad. I think I'm just going to hug him first if that's okay. Wait till your father gets home. I'm like, I hate when she says that. The last thing I want to do is punish my kids when I haven't seen them. Where did we get that from? When you see him as a father, all he's after is, man, if they would just be with me, they're going to come in unworthy. I know that they're unworthy. Here's how we're going to deal with it. I'm going to fall on your neck and I'm going to put a ring on your finger. This is the gospel is he's taking a bunch of people who deserved hell and giving him himself and taking it as far as going, listen, it's not even about living in my home. I'm going to make you my home. Like, why doesn't he build a castle in the sky and say, that's where I live and everyone can go ooh and ah? But then he actually looks for broken vessels and says, I want you to be my everlasting habitation. What kind of God do we serve? What kind of grace have we encountered? 
this humble king who didn't come with a sword. They wanted him to come with a sword and kill the Romans. That's what they thought he was going to do, but he came with a towel around his waist. And we are debating. We will be people that will wash feet. And we're going to lay our lives down for this, not even because he said to, but because we found him and we love him. Because he's greater than anything we've ever experienced. Why? Because I was lost and now I'm found. Why? Because I didn't deserve it and he said you're worthy. It's God's grace. It's God's mercy. It's not your works of righteousness. Your works of righteousness are as filthy rags to the Lord. It's saying, Lord, I can't do this. God says, I can work with that. So with every hand lifted. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you as Father, that, that humble God that says, listen, when they don't deserve it, I'm going to run to them. And I'm going to violently, affectionately embrace them today. There's moms in here that you haven't spent time with God in months because you changed dirty diapers. The Lord doesn't value you based on if you spend six hours, two hours, 30 minutes in this secret place. How far have we gone? The Lord wants you to be a secret place. Lord, I thank you that you're raising a people that even while they're changing diapers, they're doing it filled with your presence. That Lord, you teach us that you want to delight in us every day, everywhere that we go and in everything that we do. You are looking, you said you will no longer call me thy master, but you will call me thy husband. People that you can live with, people that you can become one with. So Lord, we commit our hearts to you, not because we're scared of hell, but because we found you, this God who's full of grace and full of mercy, this humble king. And we commit to remove ourselves from the debate and be people that will wash feet, will be people that will actually pray for those that we don't agree with in the other political party. Because right now, God, this world is crying out for people who really love Jesus. And when the world says condemn them, we say bring them in. Lord, we love you. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen.